Welcome to Wei and the Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. All right, the first time that uh, Kathy and I and and Wei are together for a long time, right? Yeah. So okay. yeah, today we're going to talk to you about uh, quite a few news. Uh, one is uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, for the first time, responded to the unprecedented raid on Mar-a-Lago, and uh, Professor Victor Davis Hanson weighs in on why. FBI did this raid and his concerns on this agency. And, and uh, the uh, Twitter announced its policy on midterm election. Wonder you may want to know, you oh, know, what's yeah. the policy, right? Yeah, and finally, if Hollis, if you're here, um, you know, it will be uh, the, the last one will be the FBI joke. Believe it or not, I have that for you. <laughs> okay, Hopefully and the way has something to share with you on the midterm election. Yeah. All right, so let's quickly uh, <clears throat> cover the issue we're talking about today. Four days. Four days after the, the raid on the <clears throat> Mar-a-Lago, um, DOJ uh, Attorney General Garland came out today, and uh, he basically said, I approved it, okay? But pretty much nothing more than that. Okay, so people are still asking the key question now still, why so uh, you know, intrusive? We're talking about a 6.30 in the morning raid and with the police car, not just FBI, okay? Police got dozens of police car and with the, you know, the, 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 the siren flashing all the time and then 30 FBI agents just go into, went into the Mar-a-Lago and uh, searched room after room, including Trump's bedroom and his office and a storage room and so on and so forth, okay? Such yeah. an unprecedented move and such a bold move against a former president of the United States. What is the reason? People have the even more bigger question after hearing Garland's explanation today. Mm -hmm. So we'll cover that. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and uh, there was no um, Trump's lawyer were permitted on site while they are going through the whole house. Right? Yeah, so let's just wrap that, you know, just re rewind a little bit. Okay, the, um, basically the Presidential Record Act, which was, it seems to be so, um, the why the FBI went in the Mar-a-Lago to search for the classified um, you know, document that belonged to the, that, that is the public pro property of the United States. And then this actually before 1978, okay, president, their own property, you know, whatever their document is, their own property, okay, for 222 years, for the 48, 44 president who left the White House, chances are they're gonna do some move, right? They mm -hmm. move their stuff, box them, and then move them out. So never has been, in the history has been that uh, any president was held, you know, um, liable or responsible for moving classified information. In the very beginning, it's even you know just no chance to do so because the, everything that in the White House the president moved along with him him would be personal property. But after President Richard Nixon's attempt to destroy his attempt to destroy record relate, related to his presidency. After his uh, resignation in 1974, the Congress passed this Presidential Record Re uh, Act in 1978. Since then, okay, whatever president, um, you know, the, the presidential record was considered not as private property, uh, but public property. Okay, so what happens in the spring? We don't know which date. Okay, and uh, Trump received a, a um, subpoena for the requested document, and uh, which Trump complied with. And on the uh, June 3rd, FBI agent visited Mar-a-Lago to retrieve the requested document in the, that stated in the subpoena, <clears throat> and the Trump's people received them. The officials of the FBI asked to see a storage facility where the record was located. They were shown 
okay? The investigators toured the area of the Mar-a-Lago, and um, they briefly viewed and took custody of a small amount of potentially sensitive material. The FBI then asked the staff to put a lock on the storage room, which they later did. And later, a few days later, a separate subpoena was sent to Mar-a-Lago seeking information about surveillance cameras to determine who may have access to the storage room, which they, you know, the staff did too. Since then, for about uh, one month, uh, one to two months, there's no news from the FBI, even though the two parties, the Mar-a-Lago and the FBI, has very, you know, just working together in a quite a cooperative way. There was no incident. And so basically then at 6.30 of the Monday, August 8th, the FBI suddenly show up with the you know, police cars and in the early morning, you know, the, you, know, you, you, know the, you know the scene. And then as they search the rooms, okay, they would not let the attorneys come to watch the raid. They told the attorneys to stay away. They closed the door. So as a matter of fact, they don't know what happened. So two attorneys, one is uh, Christina Bob, another is uh, Lindsay Halligan. And they complain that uh, they, don't, they don't let them see what's the reason. And finally, they managed to see a copy of the warrant. Mm -hmm. But the warrant was very thin, okay, because the probable cause was not shown to them. It is, it was, it's a warrant that was sealed mm -hmm. by the court. So actually, they, they couldn't know what, you know, indeed, was the real reason. Okay, so... Then, you know, then there comes today, Mary Garland in the afternoon, finally he broke silence because uh, it has been reported that uh, the judge who approved uh, this um, warrant was uh, the U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt at the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of Florida, West Palm Beach. But uh, yesterday he ordered the DOJ to file a response to motions to unseal the warrant by next Monday. So, and he said that DOJ's response may be redacted as necessary uh, to avoid disclosing matters already under seal. So that's a quote. That's when this afternoon, Mary Garland held a press conference uh, saying that uh, he is unsealing the warrant and admit that he personally approved the raid on Trump's home. So he said he had you know, a few points to let people know. He cannot say a lot of details, but he made three points. Mm -hmm. First point, he said, I personally approved this search warrant. And the second, he said, uh, we, our organization, meaning DOJ, does not make such decision you know, lightly. Mm -hmm. And the third, he said he wanted to dispute, you know, to just uh, um, refute the outside criticism on the FBI, on mm -hmm. the DOJ's unprofessional conduct. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so basically, they said, he said, we consider alternative to such intrusive, um, you know, um, method, but they still chose so. Mm -hmm. So that's raised more question than he answered. But it's basically, what is your reason? And, uh, and okay. the most recent news, I just saw that, uh, according to Washington Post, mm -hmm. what um, the agents are looking for are some documents related to nuclear. Mm. But 
and other items. Okay. But uh, you know, they just uh, again they quoted uh, a source with the uh, anonymous. Mm -hmm. okay. So one one Washington uh, Post uh, reporter by you know signed by four reporters um, you know um, name, which is their heavy piece. I want to read from you one paragraph on that. It said that Trump and his allies has refused to publicly share a copy of the warrant, even as they and their reporters has denounced the search as unlawful and politi politically motivated, but provided no evidence to back that up. So the context, if you, I, I, I won't read that to you, but the, put it together, the Washington Post is questioning that uh, why, why does you know, Trump and his ally keep asking for the court or the DOJ to share the, you know, the warrant? Because they got a copy. That's very interesting when I read that. Oh, really? Yes, indeed. If the Trump have the copy, they don't like being raided, and the public is concerned, why don't you publish you know, the, the copy that you received, which presumably you, will, you would have received at the time of the raid? So I went into, I, I, I did a painstaking you know, effort to search for indeed what happened. Did they got a copy? And actually, I, I reported to you earlier, there was two Trump attorneys on site, and they, they don't, they, neither of them got any copy. They just showed them. And as I told you, it's very thin. The warrant is a sealed one. They don't see the real reason behind it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure the four Washington Post reporters know as much as I do. Okay? They still wrote that, why don't they share this copy with the warrant and keep asking, demanding the court or the DOJ to share that? Can you believe this? Kathy, we're both in this field, journalists, right? Right. right. How, so, how can they do that? Yeah, why, you know, things turns out this way and uh, really how to view FBI's um, such kind of uh, action and uh, obviously DOJ is behind it, why they did it. So I uh, talked to Hoover Institute senior fellow professor Victor Davis Hansen yesterday uh, about this and uh, he had a lot of insights on this agency. So, mm -hmm. yeah, without further ado, let's um, just take a listen to Professor Hansen on how he viewed this raid. Uh, we've never had it happen before. We've never had the FBI or any investigatory or law enforcement agent go into the uh, home of a president. But we have had disagreements over the nature of presidential papers. So Barack Obama, for example, spent about $35 million of state money trying to avoid turning over many of his papers under Freedom of Information Act requests. Or in 2005, George Bush just issued an executive order saying that he was not going to turn over certain papers. And he said the same thing in 2001 about his father's papers that were going to be released. And so it's very common for a president to declare certain things classified and then not classified, but we've never, and those are always adjudicated the way they have been because there had been archivists at the presidential home in June that were discussing whether the things they were looking at should be released or not. But we've never just arbitrarily had a arrest, basically a search warrant. And so this is new. And unfortunately it's, it's consistent with a pattern and the pattern is twofold. On the one hand, it's asymmetrical. By that I mean, if you're Hillary Clinton and you have thousands of emails, a hundred of which we know were classified and were not turned over under subpoena, 
and the devices under which they appeared, i.e. pads, phones, and computers were deliberately destroyed, that's a felony. And yet no one did anything. Or if um, you have a subpoena asking for someone to appear before a congressional committee, an official like Eric Holder, he just simply said in 2017, I'm not going to go. And he didn't turn over documents, and yet nothing happened to him. In the case of Peter Navarro or other people, they put him in chains, Peter Navarro. So there's an asymmetry, and that's scary. And it's, it's from the left. The left has now taken control of the FBI. And then the other danger is the FBI and the DOJ, but most of the FBI are acting as sort of rogue Stasi-like uh, investigatory police that are in, in service to a particular ideology. So the FBI goes after uh, Ashley Biden's diary. She left it in an apartment. It had lurid accounts of taking showers with her father President of the United States. It ended up in various hands. Uh, somebody reportedly gave it to James O'Keefe. The FBI shows up on his doorstep, marches him out in the middle of the morning, uh, pre-dawn hours in his underwear. Or Roger Stone is supposedly guilty of this, or they want to talk to him and a Trump out. They show up with a SWAT team to arrest a 67-year-old and with CNN accompanying the FBI. And so, I could go on, but there's a sense that it is acting, and this a, a rogue uh, investigatory, it alters federal warrants. We had Kevin Kleinsmith, an FBI lawyer, plead guilty to altering a FISA document. We knew that his overseers, James Comey and Andrew McCabe, allowed that to go on. They approved that warrant. I don't know whether they knew it was forged or not, but they did do that. We know that they put informants. We had a Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times reporter say that there were, there were, he said, numerous FBI informants on January 6th. He told us that. We know that FBI informants were involved in uh, planning the kidnapping of the Michigan governor to blame on supposedly far-right actors. We know that the FBI hired Christopher Steele, a known liar, and who gave them, they hired Christopher Steele at the same time he was being hired by Hillary Clinton's campaign through the paywalls of Perkins Coie, Fusion GPS and the DNC. And he was collecting dirt. Much of it was from was filtered by the Russian government, apparently. And it was completely a lie. The FBI then used that dossier to get warrants to go check on individual American citizens like Carter Page. And so when you you hear about all this, it's just unthinkable. And then you look to the directors of the FBI for answers. So we just had Christopher Ray. He didn't answer any question. He wouldn't even say that the Russian collusion hoax was a hoax. And then he cut short his testimony he was asked about Hunter Biden's laptop. Why did they suppress all information about that laptop and leak that it was Russian disinformation when they knew it was not on the eve of the election? Just in the manner that they knew Hillary Clinton's emails violated federal law and yet they did not charge her with anything on the eve of an election. 
And so when he was asked these things, he just said, I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. And then he said, I got to go. I have an appointment. And he took his government luxury jet and flew to his cabin in the Ariandox. His predecessor was Andrew McKay. He lied four times under oath, admittedly. He admitted that to federal investigators. He signed the opt on the warrant that was forged by Kevin Kleinsmith. We know that his wife was running for an office in Virginia and a recipient of Clinton-related campaign funds while he was the chief investigator of Hillary Clinton's email. He took over. He was fired. He took over from fired James Comey. I don't need to get into him, but on 245 occasions, he either lied or said he didn't remember or he didn't know when he was asked things we knew that he knew about the Russian collusion hoax. Then he admitted that he went and talked to the president in a private confidential uh, conversation. He went out, sat in his car, and used an FBI device to memorialize that. Um, that was confidential, if not classified. And then he released it to the New York Times via a third party. He was fired. And then his, we're going back now four, we're back 20 years ago, Robert Mueller, who was the FBI director. We know that he ran the Mueller investigation. And we know that his own uh, FBI lawyers, Lisa Page and Peter Stroke, were conducting an illicit affair and were not disinterested, but prejudiced according to their own text. And he fired them, but he hid their firing, so he didn't announce it. And he staggered them so nobody would know there was a connection. And then under subpoena, their phones were, the phone records were subpoenaed and they were mysteriously wiped clean. And then we know that what caused that investigation to appear and made his appointment was a steel dossier infusing GPS's effort to disseminate that fraudulent dossier. Robert Mueller was asked that under oath. What do you know about the Steele dossier? What do you know about fusing Glenn Simpson? He said, I don't know any. So here you have the FBI former director who is running an investigation based on a dossier and a private company that is probably illegally disseminated, and he denies he knows either one. So those were the last four FBI directors. So it seems to me that it's a very dangerous organization now, and it needs to be broken up. So the, if it's going to investigate foreign terrorism or domestic terrorism, or it's going to uh, investigate counterfeiting, or it's going to investigate uh, civil disobedience or fraud or tax problems, all of those agencies and those agents can be farmed out to the IRS, Homeland Security, DOD, but it cannot any longer remain in Washington with all of that power because it's become a rogue um, Stasi-like organization. Very dangerous. You know, the American people normally just wanted to trust FBI as a respected uh, law enforcement agency. So, yes. yeah, so what do you think, like why it become the way that you, you know, described is so political and... Uh... People in the Pentagon and the FBI and the CIA, they sense that the popular culture, not the, the number of people, not the majority of people, but the popular culture that they interact with, and what would that be? 
The New York Times, The Washington Post, National Public Radio, PBS, CBS, ABC, Professional Sports, Hollywood, Professional Entertainment, Professors, Law School Professors, Academia, the permanent bureaucracy of people who run Homeland Security, it's the top 20 people, top 20 people in the CIA, uh, Wall Street, where the money is, when they retire and they want to become consultants, who are they going to work for? Are they going to work for Disney? Are they going to work for American Airlines? Are they going to work for Coca-Cola? Are they going to work for Facebook? All of that group of power and money are left wing, and they understand that. And when they have a left wing president, they understand that. And so they make the necessary adjustments. In the case of the FBI, whether it's not going after Hillary's emails, but storming the Trump residence or allowing her to destroy things or uh they know that hunter laptop is a drug addict they know that he hired foreign prostitutes they know he did not pay income tax on millions of dollars they know that he lied on a federal affidavit to buy a firearm which he lost all of that they do not go after though going after as we're speaking uh the trump children and tax records of years ago so they understand that by doing this they're going to be praised on television. If Andrew McCabe or James Comey is fired, they're going to get 250000 plus to go on uh, MSNBC or CNN as an analyst. If they want to have a book, they know that Simon & Schuster or Doubleday will pay them a million dollars. If they want to have a job, they understand that a proper big corporation or, or media conglomerate will hire them. And that is what's happened. And then they politicize and warp their agency and they get rid of people at the top who are conservative or disinterested or neutral. And you start seeing the McCabe's and the Christopher Ray's and all of people make the necessary adjustments. Very similar to what happens in China or what happened in Eastern Europe or what happened in the Soviet Union or Venezuela. Once these institutions are politicized, then average people, they make the necessary adjustments for their own survival and they start to party the, the line and they come up with all sorts of ideas to further that agenda. So, you know, if someone says, maybe we can, we can get in good if we find Ashley Biden's diary. And then an agent will probably say, well, she left it in an apartment in Florida and that person who found it must have given it. Let's go interview her. Well, that person gave it to someone else. Well, let's find that person. Well, then that other person gave, uh-oh, James O'Keefe, that right-wing journalist may have got it. Well, let's go find out. Let's get a warrant. But let's not just get a warrant. Let's go at four in the morning and make a big splash and we'll tip off the media and we'll march him out in his underwear and embarrass him. And then we'll go through all of his other records and get his phones and all of his contacts. And then if we do all that, my gosh, the FBI will be praised in the New York Times. It will be praised by the administration. Merrick Garland will let it, he, this is how they act. And a lot, how did this happen? Uh, partly it was, I think, the globalized amount of money and influence that certain areas of the economy enjoyed, media, social media, high tech, 
There were amounts of money that were just unimaginable 20 years ago. Partly, uh, as the country became more conservative, its elites got angrier and angrier, and they decided they could not win elections or they couldn't win on the issues, so they resorted to exercising influence through academia or television or radio or social media or Facebook. And then I think more immediately, Donald Trump scared them because he he said from the very beginning he was going to drain the swamp or he was going to fire these people or he was going to bring in people that were not experienced as they were. And they decided, left and right, Republican and Democrat, that they were going to get rid of him. So it was all of those things. All right. So, and I asked a lot more questions to Professor Hansen, but for today, we just show you this clip. And uh, I also actually asked him, you know, uh, Christopher Wray, yeah. the current <clears throat> FBI director, was uh, appointed by Trump, right? So how did that come about? Do you want to know the answer that Professor Hansen provided? Yeah, I do, of course. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just going to rephrase. Okay. So Professor Hansen uh, said at that time when after uh, James Comey and uh, Andrew McCabe all got fired. Mm -hmm. So then the next question is who's going to be the next director? And uh, Trump got uh, two kinds of advices. Mm -hmm. One device is that you just have to get an uh, outside person, just totally not related to FBI. Just get a fresh one and, uh, you know, redo this organization. And then uh, the second advice he got was, oh, you know, you have, like, done so much to this, uh, you know, the relationship mm -hmm. between the FBI. You wanted to kind of rebuild it. Mm -hmm. So it's better that you just get another person from the FBI system. So... Trump chose the second advice. Yeah. And the Professor Hansen said that's the one of the biggest mistakes he believed that Trump made. Mm -hmm. So that's his answer. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, right to the point. Same, same with uh, William Barr, right? Remember, this is also from the, from the same establishment. Mm -hmm. He's a DOJ. They, they, they didn't really do, the, do their, you know, their due job. And even up today. So, so today I was, I was checking. Remember when Hunter Biden, uh, I just want to go, go into a little detail. When the senators was questioning him during a hearing just uh, uh, two months ago, okay, uh, about uh, Hunter Biden. And, you know, what did he say? Because this, there's this uh, FBI assistant special agent in charge of the D.C., Washington field office, okay? And he showed very partisan you know, just attitude and very anti-Trump on the social media, just like the, the, the earlier one, the, the McCabe and all those uh, folks who was uh, removed. And uh, Ray said this. He said, uh, I have seen descriptions to that effect, uh, but I want to be careful of not interfering with any ongoing personnel matters. He said, but indeed, he found those allegations deeply troubling. What's the use of deeply troubling? It's your people. When your people messed up and you don't want to interfere with ongoing personnel matters. Yeah, so one thing people notice That's your is job. You just, you, just, you just get right into the personal matters. He just, he just stay away from the job that he needs to do. Yeah, just say something, you know, not really... 
politically safe. Effects, yeah, right? politically safe. Yeah. So yeah, I have more had more discussion with Professor Hansen about also about uh, he he talked about the administrative state or other people say deep state mm -hmm. and other things like um, about uh, he actually you know who guess who's the biggest benefit from this raid. Uh, I don't. I won't say the answer right now. But he talked about that, and uh, about CCP, about Nancy Pelosi's um, Taiwan trip. So a lot more we'll you know share with you in later days, yeah. in the shows, uh, you know, in the coming days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So next, uh, you wanted to share some of the updates about uh, the election. Term? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. On the on the Tuesday, there was this primary. I'm sure most of you have already you know see the result of that. But if you hear me out, maybe I have uh, some some you know some additional point for you to take away. And uh, and then this is a three state uh, primary on Tuesday, mm -hmm. and there are five major battle that involve Trump's endorsement of uh, them all. And then Trump's endorsed people won four of them, so four. Uh, versus one. The most uh, <clears throat> highlight is the uh, primary of the, uh, the GOP um, government um, in the Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin. And the Trump supported businessman, his name is uh, Tim Michels. Okay? And uh, Tim Michels' opponent is um, uh, Rebecca Cliffich. And interesting enough, while Trump endorsed Michels and uh, former President, Vice President Pence, Mike Pence, um, endorsed Rebecca Klinfish. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, between, you know, these two big guys and then, then they endorse different people. This is the second time. The last time was in uh, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the Tim Michels, uh, first let me tell you who, who he is. He's a former um, U.S. Army uh, veteran and uh, he has been in the Army for 12 years. As he, you know, retired from Army, he was an Army uh, major. Okay, in the 1998, he started to get into the politics and run for the state senator. He lost. And then six years later, he ran for the U.S. Senate. He lost again. Now this time, he's running for the, the governor and got endorsed by Trump and, uh, a few months ago, three, three months ago, and then he won this major battle. So it's the first time he won. And uh, interesting enough, he's similar to Trump. Okay? He's a businessman. Mm -hmm. He's the boss. He's the owner of a construction firm. Very successful. Okay? And then he will be facing up, uh, facing up to Tony Evers, which is the current um, Democratic governor. And, uh, and Evers was viewed as the one of the most vulnerable governor of the, you know, controlled by the Democrat in the midterm. So we'll see, we'll see how that will you know, unfold. And another uh, senator, presumably you are familiar with, is Ron Johnson from you know, the Wisconsin senator. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a very strong supporter of uh, President Trump. And uh, on the 2020 election, on the um, certification, and he's one of the people who challenged the result. And then actually he was he wasn't ready to seek the third term. Okay, he's been there right. for twelve years. I guess he's tired or whatever reason that he did not check. Uh, but facing the challenge the party faced and the also possible division inside the uh, Republican Party, he changed his mind. He said, "I'm gonna continue run for the third term," and of course Trump liked that a lot. And then his opponent, his name is Mandela Banas. Mandela Banas, if you can show his picture, he say. Basically, yeah, he's, he's, he's a current uh, lieutenant governor. He's a sort of like a career, uh, career activist, mm -hmm. okay, starting from the city level, now at the state level, and uh, different from the Ron Johnson, who was actually an accountant. Then he's a machine operator. Then he was later a, um, how to say, CEO of a company. 
So interesting enough, right? On the one side, usually you've got this like a businessman who at a certain point start to you know, uh, come into politics. On the other side, chances are they are you know, just activists. And um, as somebody who comes from China, I understand that difference. Why that difference? Very well. Okay. And the third one, okay, another case is uh, this gentleman called Derek Van Orden. He ran for the third district uh, uh, house representative in Wisconsin. There's no opponent. Trump endorsed him, so he won. And this guy, he joined the Navy at the age of 18. Then later, he stayed in the Navy for 26 years. He become, he retired as the chief, chief of a Navy SEAL. Mm. Okay? So one of the most elite military men from our, from our Navy. And then, and interesting enough, he was, he, he is the sixth, hear me out, he's the sixth candidate who won the House of Representatives who were on the Capitol Hill on January 6th. Mm. And those people go there, right? They go there to support Trump, then things happen, then they come back and they roll up their sleeves and they start to, you know, run for office. And he's the sixth one there who, who, who got the GOP candidates for the um, House representative in their respective uh, district. And, uh, okay, that's that. And uh, the last one I want to talk to you about is very interesting. Okay, is this... Um, um, lady, Jamie Har Harara Butner, and she was one of the 10 um, House representatives who, who are from the Republican and, uh, you know, and just vote for the impeachment mm -hmm. of uh, President Trump. As you know, out of these 10 people, 10 people, okay, six decided not to run. Three of them lost, okay, and then that's seven, right? And then two of them survived. The only one left is Liz Cheney who will be facing her primary in the next Tuesday, mm -hmm. on next Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, and, uh, and... I saw some reports saying that uh, there are a lot of out-of-state money, you know, coming in for her. Yeah, I don't know whether you took note, okay, in the state of uh, Georgia, in the state of uh, Arizona, and in the state of uh, now in the, in the Wyoming, and the Democrats coming over to vote for a candidate for Republic, uh, Republican, which is not supposed to happen. It's, it's, it's not illegal, but it's immoral. But it's happening all across the board, and a Democrat is immoral for whom? <laughs> you know, Democrats are very innovative now, quote unquote, innovative in you know winning politically. So now there's uh, enough money, a lot of money from the Democrat side, and uh, and uh, possibly votes from the Democrat side to try to support Liz Cheney as the GOP candidate. Can you believe that? So we'll see. You know, this time tomorrow, and next week, or next Tuesday, we're gonna know what happened. So if Liz Cheney lost her job, then it's eight out of ten. Mm. Okay, impeacher, they lost their job. It's like a career-ending type of vote choice for them. So what do you think? You know, leave your comment there. And yeah. um, and uh, you know, as uh, the well, the midterm election going on, and then the 11, uh, November uh, election approaching. Twitter today announced its policy on the 2022 midterm elections. Are you surprised? Let's mm. show. What is it? Yeah, well, let's show what they, what they just, what they tweeted today. It's saying that uh, ahead of the U.S. midterm elections, we, Twitter, um, we are sharing steps we are taking to protect election conversations mm. and to help ensure people feel confident about what they see on Twitter. So they announced, that's their brief, um, brief uh, announcement, but they have a blog with a much longer um, 
explanation on their policy. Basically, they said they have this called the civic integrity policy. What's civic in integrity policy? So hear me out. So they are saying it covers most common types of harmful, misleading information about elections and the civic events, such as, hear that, claims about how to participate a civil process, like how to vote. Mm. Okay, you can just imagine what that means. How to vote, it will become something they will censor. Misleading content intended to intimidate or dissuade people from participating in the election and the misleading claims intended to undermine policy, uh, undermine public confidence in an election, including false information about the outcome of the election. Tweets with this kind of content may be labeled with links to credible information or helpful context. Remember how they label mm. yeah. the, you know, in regards to the pandemic and tweet Twitter will not recommend or amplify this content in areas of the product where Twitter makes recommendations. People on tweet, Twitter will see a prompt prior to liking or sharing label, labeled tweet. And in case where there is potential for harm associated with the false or misleading claim, the tweet will, may, be not, may not be liked or shared to prevent the spread of the misleading information. Okay, so you can just read between the lines mm -hmm. what they mean, right? And the fake accounts that misspread affiliation to a candidate or elected officials are prohibited under our existing misleading and deceptive identities policy. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they have more. If you are interested, you can just uh, look at, you know, look into their more detailed policies. Mm -hmm. So in this, you know, with that said, I think in we wanted to just again remind our audience friends here, remember to get onto Ganjing World, yep. the new platform, you know, with this election coming, uh, approaching, um, and uh, you can imagine this type of policy, you know, they are enacting uh, how it, the information will be restricted, even some of the topics will be restricted. Yeah. So, yeah. So making sure that you took note and bookmark this, uh, open this website. Okay, it's a new website, it's a very powerful platform. As I we shared with you, safe chat before, um, but uh, let, let me just share with you honestly, this one is, will be much more powerful than safe chat. Um, so making sure you get, you know, register that, I mean, just, you know, save the link. And uh, it's called Ganjin World, okay? It's, it's a Chinese. Explain. Explain means clean world, clean. Ganjin means clean in, in um, you know, in the spelling of Chinese. It's called Clean World. It's a Silicon Valley <coughs> founded uh, company and uh, dedicated to freedom of information. So making sure you stay there. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a platform that does not censor. So we'll be meeting with you, um, you know, much more often over there, over there, okay? Making sure you just, um, you know, save that. And um, yeah, indeed. And the, uh, the other thing I think I saw, like uh, for example, I think it's Barbara saying, it's so great to see your show again. So yeah, we probably have um, more returning audience. It's so great to see you again. Uh, but uh, just in case, you know, um, to keep 
uh, us connected. Uh, send us your email so you can we can keep you in the email list mm -hmm. in case anything happen. We can just keep uh, contact and keep sending you. We won't. We normally won't send you you know much things. We will not abuse this email list, but uh, in case, just mm -hmm. in case, so that we can keep connected. Uh, send us your email to sohnews at uh, soundofhope.org. Mm, okay. So let me type up there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Kathy, why don't you type up there? Yeah. <clears throat> In the meantime, let me holla, you know, holla, are you there? Let me, let's, let's enter this show with a joke. Okay, the joke is about uh, FBI. All right. So be warned, okay? When you hear this joke, you will find them very arresting. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, so be prepared, Tony, for the laughters. Uh, one of the best marksmen in the FBI was passing through a small town. Everywhere, he saw evidences of the most amazing shooting, you know? On trees, on the walls, on fences, there were numerous bull's eyes, you know, with the bullet hole right in the dead center. He was so amazed, he was asking one of the townsmen, can I meet the person, you know, who is responsible for this wonderful marksmanship? I, I just couldn't. I couldn't do, you know, something even close to his, you know, his result. Well, the man turned out to be the village idiot. Mm. Okay. And, uh, but the FBI still very adore him. He said, this is the best marksman that I've ever seen. How in the world do you do that? The idiot said, nothing to it. At first, I shoot first and then draw the circles afterwards. <laughs> okay all right that'll be that'll be all for tonight and thank you very much for staying with us we'll be seeing you tomorrow again oh jt thompson said you have earned a new subscriber wow thank you glad to see that yeah 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 okay thank you very much um but oh but, but larry said do you can you put new link in speech uh, i'm not quite getting that can you just explain what you need? But we'll, we'll put it in the, in the description, okay? The new link. Oh, you mean the Ganji world? Yeah. Oh, new link in the, in the speech. I mean, okay. Anyway, we'll be leaving that in the description. Make sure you save them, okay? Because let, let me just, um, you know. Yeah, it's a good suggestion. Yeah, if let, you mean that, yeah, we should just put it, the link in every yeah. show's description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very powerful um, platform. And uh, yeah, it will be a true freedom of information thing. It's for everybody, okay? All kinds of people are there. And uh, enough content now already. All right, thank yeah, you. It's very much needed. I think a lot of people oh. will agree that. Judy yeah. said, good to see you on YouTube again. It's been a while. Yes, yeah, great to see you again, Judy. And uh, Hope Hills International Ministry, watching from Philippines. Wow. wow. Hi. Good, good to have you with us. Okay, yeah. we remember that uh, you know people all over the world watching us you know two years ago, and then later you know it all dropped. Okay, um, you know the reason. I will not explain here because it will be. You know, <laughs> you will heard this channel. Can't believe this, this is America. Gosh. Yeah. Anyway. Well, John, John Bond said the safe chat was so great. Good to see the new spot. Yeah. Well, I have an even better one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we. Recommend the safe chat to you, and now we have a better one yeah. to recommend to you. You know, safe chat, we're still broadcasting on there, but yeah. Ganjin World, you know, would be even better. Right. Okie doke. All right. Hi. Thank you. Good night. Take care. And good morning, Philippines. And uh, <laughs> see you next time. See you tomorrow, actually. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. -bye. Bye.